Hey guys, before we dive into the show, I wanted to tell you about my new trailer music toolkit, which is 100% free and you can download it right now over at richardprin.com forward slash toolkit. This toolkit contains... Firstly, my perfect trailer cue blueprint. It also contains a handful of one-shot samples, like huge trailer hits, pings, plucks, brahms, booms, transitions, and downers. Perfect for beginners, pros, and everything in between. Okay, let's get into the episode. One man. One microphone. And one medium-sized coffee. Welcome to the Trailer Music Composers Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the show. Today I'm wonderfully excited because I get another question to answer from one of you guys. Uh, This is Darren Lewis. He has an amazing question. Let's hear it, Darren. Hey, Rich, I've been writing a bunch of neoclassical string tracks, and I have a tendency to want to end act one on a five chord, ending it open. I'm just wondering, is that the best choice, maybe, or should I plan on closing out act one on the tonic? Thanks for answering the question. Have a good one. Okay, there we go. Um, Right, firstly, I love this question because we're getting into the weeds. You know, so often what I'm talking about is sort of overarching generic stuff about being a composer or your trailer music tracks themselves. But this is into the acts, dude. You know, it's going into the acts. And I love this. This is a great question. It's not just going to the acts, but it's talking about music theory relating to the acts. Do I end on my dominant, on my fifth, when I'm finishing a track one? So those of you who don't know what Darren or I are talking about when we say the dominant, the fifth, um, it's the fifth chord of the key you are in. So if you are in the key of C, your fifth chord is C, D, E, F, G. So say you're writing a piece of music in C, Darren's saying, well, how about I end my act one in G? Well, not in G, but on a G chord. And it would probably be a G dominant 7, which is a, a G with a flattened 7, which in this case is an F natural. Um, <clears throat> and honestly, Darren, my short answer to you is yes, this type of stuff is such an easy win using your theory knowledge in this way. Oh. Guys, drone alert. So what the plane drone is telling me, there's something ominous going on. <laughs> no, anyway, anyway, sample that, guys. That's a good one. Um, what we're looking for is easy wins. Always easy wins. So using your dominant, your G in this case, your G7, what this does is it leaves the listener hanging. Now, the reason I think this is a great question is because Darren talks about it being in neoclassical. And a lot of the trend for neoclassical in trailer world and TV, in fact, the sync world generally, is for your neoclassical tracks to be minimal sounding. So what we're, tra- what we're kind of thinking here, guys, is imagine kind of like a classical sounding violin on its own, but that's been trailerized, you know, or a quartet that's been trailerized. Um, 
So you're looking for easy wins to how you can create tension. So say it's a solo violin neoclassical track. It's not just solo violin, but that's the, that's the lead instrument. Ending on the fifth is your easiest way to leave the listener hanging in anticipation of the return of the root in Act 2. Now, you could argue that, yes, you, of course you can end on any other chord, but remember it's easy wins. And the other thing about what we do as composers is we're in advertising, guys, whether you like it or not. And one of the most important things about advertising is familiarity. Now, this is why we have trends, and this is why there isn't much change in what we do. Because the listener... There are purple cows, of course, but the listener responds to familiarity. This is why you get so many Queen songs and adverts, because someone goes, oh, I know Queen, oh, I know this product, must buy. That's essentially what we're trying to do. So when we end on the fifth, what we're saying is, hey, you know what's coming. <laughs> Boom, back into the root, root chord, root note. So they know the audience can predict what is happening. You know, I don't know if any of you guys have seen that... Um, Bobby McFerrin uh, a live performance talk he did about uh, people singing uh, where he kind of jumps around on the stage to the pentatonic scale and he kind of jumps around between two notes with the audience singing the notes as he moves and then he jumps an ec- into a different space on the stage that he hasn't jumped before and everybody sings the right note. Because of this understand inherent understanding and familiarity of what we do as musicians and the and the unconscious music vocabulary you know and it's it's really easy like if you want an easy win with a neoclassical track go in a minor key c minor ending on the dominant major you can do a whole track with that that's c minor and g7 you know, you do a whole track with that because the audience hears that chord sequence and being played on the violin, they go, oh, this is classical music. Oh, I know this. Oh, I know what's going to happen now that they've ended act one on the fifth. Although they might not be saying that, but, and therefore you've got them. They're in the trailer. They're in the track. The familiarity has hooked them. Hooks aren't just catchy tunes. Hooks are things that people can relate to and understand and feel safe in you know if you ended on the sixth you are referring to a certain style of music you know you're going hey those jazzers in the audience check me out (laughs) i'm ending on the sixth but in trailer music ending on the sixth it doesn't have the same familiarity to it try it you know, end, end your act one on a, on a sixth chord. And it's kind of like, it's not, it's not the same definitive question mark that the dominant leaves. It's kind of like a, I'm not sure whether I've finished playing or not. Or perhaps even, that's the thing I find uncomfortable with the sixth. Is it's got this, I think I made a mistake feel to it. <laughs> you know, oh, eh. it's like, yeah, I'm playing, yeah, I'm playing. Oops, maybe I'm not. <laughs> um so yeah, there are things that you can do. I mean, you can end on the tonic in the act one. But then what you have to do, you have to then ramp back into the tonic again 
I'm assuming you're starting back on the tonic in Act 2, admittedly. So it's another thing there, another layer to this question, is that it then gives you less work to do. Your return to the root is that release. So remember, I'm always talking about this, music is all tension and release. All tension and release. All music. So what you can do here is make sure that you maximize that. Your G7 is the tension and your return to the tonic is release. It's very cliched in that it's not, not that it's cliched like, uh, don't ever do that because it's such a cliche. It's cliched in the fact that it's, it's so universally used all the time. But that's what's great about it. So yes, please end on your fifth in your neoclassical tracks because also when you're dealing with this type of track, your voicings, the amount of notes being played at the same time, is often quite limited, often quite minimal. So those question marks you can place with those notes that you use are really important. You know, you can do things like end on the flattened seventh in a minor key. You, know, you can end on any chord, but you have to think about the tension and release. How that tension that you've created in that final chord is going to be released when we return into Act 2. And this, this applies to the end of Act 2, this applies to the end of Act 3. So if you end on the tonic you then have, of, in your, your Act 1, you then have to think... How am I going to ramp back into Act 2? Am I going to make, my, make it harder for myself with regard to the scale, etc.? This isn't a hard and fast rule by any means, but it's, it is one of my favourite things to do. Uh, and I used it extensively when I was um, recording those four neoclassical albums for Elephant, which was basically either a solo violin playing or uh, a string trio. So the amount of work I had to do to create tension and release was actually a lot because I had to think a lot more about what those notes were doing. So I used dominance a lot. I used suspended chords a lot. You know, a classic one that we do a lot in trailer music, in fact, all music is, you know, you, you take your track into the dominant chord, but before you show it as a dominant, you show it as a sus chord. So sus4, and then you add in the seventh as you resolve from the sus chord down into the major, or in this case the dominant. So what that looks like, for those of you who aren't sure what I'm talking about, it's uh, it would be a the sus4 if it was in G, if it was in C, but a G chord. The sus4 would be G, F, and D. Oh, sorry, not G, F, and D. G, C, and D. Because you're suspending the third note, which is B, and you're adding the fourth note, which is C. So you'd go G, C, D, suspended. And then as you drop the C to a B, you throw in the F. Easy wins all round. You don't, it doesn't have to be a dominant. You can just end on the fifth. You know, have a sus chord, sus two or sus four, before you resolve into the G, G major chord, and then that is the question mark that we're talking about. 
This is a brilliant question, Darren. I really, really liked this. And if you've got any other questions like this, even if I don't know the answer, I'd quite happily jabber on about it for a while because, uh, well, because I bloody love talking about it. <laughs> because it's awesome. Uh, well, I would say, if you guys aren't sure what I'm talking about, do a little research into this because this stuff is really fun. Like understanding how the chords we use create the tension we want is awesome. I'm not saying go ahead and start studying theory extensively, but have a little play and think to yourself, okay, what chord is this? What feeling does it give my music? This stuff is really, really important because then it carries forward. You understand that, oh, I understand that this fifth chord is going to want to resolve in a certain way. And also you can then use, I know Darren likes to do this, you can then use your fifth chord to pivot to another key. Or, you know, you can use it as a secondary chord in another key. <laughs> or we, all very complicated, you know. You could land on your fifth chord and then, this is actually, I have done this in some of my trailer cues, uh, I landed on the fifth and then gone, hey, I know you're expecting me to land back on the tonic, but I'm going to land on the major second chord, which would make the G the fourth chord in that key. <laughs> it's all very exciting, all very nerdy. Um, you don't have to understand any of this stuff, but I think it helps. You know? I think that there is, there is definitely a point where knowing this stuff becomes a bit stressful and a hindrance because you're so worried of making a mistake. But there is also another level to it where knowing this stuff sets you free because you understand the rules and you understand when to say, hey, screw you rules, I'm not going to stick to you. So have a, my suggestion would be have a little play. Uh, see, when you get into your act one, if you are using a chord sequence in act one, see what happens when you change up the last chord. See how it makes the return in Act 2 feel. You know, say we're in C minor, as, as Darren suggested, ending on the 5th, whether that's C minor or C major, ending on the 5th, which is G. What happens if you're in C and you end on a different chord? So what happens if you end on not the dominant 5th chord, but the minor 5th? You know, the G minor. Or what happens when you end, end on the A-flat major, which would be the flattened major sixth in the C minor. I, re I do realise how uh, how all of this sounds, by the way. <laughs> it sounds very dense and quite difficult to understand. Um, I hope I've made it clear and easy to understand. I know some of you will be like, Rich, this is like GCSE uh, music. <laughs> I understand this very easily and well done to you guys but some of you might be thinking i don't have a clue what he's talking about and that's fine too i'm not one to uh look down on other musicians because i realize there's so many levels of greatness <laughs> you know you may not know as much theory as me but you might know a lot more about mastering than me you might be a better performer than me yeah there's so many things you know, I found, I found that when I was at university. I, uh, I used to 
uh, do the music direction for some stuff and we did uh, some um, a musical once and we hired a band what uh well there were sort of half of the band were my friends and the other half of the band were uh students from another university so the people who i had i brought i brought on weren't proficient music readers but they were great musicians so they couldn't read very well what they were playing no sight reading here but if you said to them hey guys we're in a, this is the chord sequence, let's jam. They would bash out an amazing tune. Whereas the other side of the musicians, you'd put notes in front of them and they would never make a single mistake with the notes. You take the notes away from them, you'd see the sweat running down their face, you know. So it was quite an interesting dynamic. As a music director, I was stood there kind of in between because I can read music but not great. Uh, and I can improvise, but not great. So I was the I was the uh, master of none, I think what you'd call it. But um, so with this instance, I don't. I, you know, I just want to put this out here because actually talking about theory can be quite daunting for some of you. In the same way that talking about music production can be some quite daunting about some of you, for some of you. So don't let theory or music production be a boundary to you. All I did was I realized I didn't know enough about theory and I wanted to, so I studied. Same with music production. If it makes you feel weird or it gives you that, if that little voice is saying you should know about this or I want to know about this, do it. Be curious. And by all means, don't be a dick to other musicians who don't know the same level as you because like I said, you don't know what they do know. It's quite a good life lesson, actually. I just realised I've sworn in two episodes now. This is there's a there's changes in the wind, obviously. Uh, anyway, I hope this uh, this episode helped. Whether it helped you feel confident that ending on the fifth is fine and brilliant and sounds amazing, or whether it helped you go take some confidence to take a little step further and maybe develop your own theory knowledge or music production knowledge or whatever. Thanks for listening, guys. You're absolute legends, and I will speak to you in the next episode. Amazing. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening. I have something really, really exciting to offer you. I've put all 12 of my trailer music courses into a bundle called the Ultimate Trailer Music Bundle. And I've put it on for a very, very special offer. Head on over to richardprin.com forward slash trailer music bundle to get your hands on this awesome deal.